right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Lesson 69, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, you know, I'm excited about this chapter because, one, we actually have brought in what I would consider one of the most foremost experts in this topic of rapture that we can find in the United States. Max Ray is in the house. Glad I can come back for a second day. <laughs> this is our uh, expert that we have in here. Here's the deal, okay? First uh, Thessalonians 4, when you read First Thessalonians 4, I'm just going to get out some of these initial thoughts, and then we're going to unpack this thing. This is like the funeral chapter. I'm not saying that to like, if anybody's grieving, going through this process, like this is why, because why? Because you can find hope in the process as you're walking with the Lord or as you're grieving, as you've lost somebody, you want to know like, hey, where are they at? And what does that process look like if I'm alive or if they're quote unquote asleep? And so First Thessalonians 4, now remember, right before this chapter is First Thessalonians 3. We just got done talking about Paul sending Timothy to do what? To comfort people, okay, as they're going through persecution. To help people strengthen them in their faith. He's written a letter to them, and then he says, I'm praying. So in First Thessalonians 4, it's this constant form of encouragement that Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, guys, I need you to get ready for the coming Lord. I mean, that's our theme verse of the whole book is I need you to get ready. And then today we get to talk about what does that look like when he comes? You know, I think it's going to be one of the most incredible things. Uh, it will be the most incredible thing that we've ever experienced. Can you imagine, Kevin, the return of Christ? I think it it's beyond imagination. It is. And I think Mindy's painting paints a, a tad, a, like a, a glimpse of just like, all right, guys, we are longing for his, that's what I love about this. I don't know what Mindy is implying here, but for me, it's like we're longing for his return. And so what he says is in the very first 12 verses, if we really just wanted to be safe, right, Rich, we could just talk about the first 12 verses. Just talk about as you're growing. That would make things simpler. That would make a lot simpler. But hopefully we'll get to the rapture uh, by today's lesson. I'm planning on it. And so, uh, I mean, not like the rapture is going to happen during this lesson. That's not what I mean by that. It could. It could. Then you would never see this. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so here's what happens, all right? Warren Wearsby, in the first eight verses, okay, implies that, remember, Paul says he gives them Timothy, right? He gives them a letter. He prays for them. And then what does he ultimately encourage them to do? He ultimately wants them to walk in holiness. It's the whole, if the whole theme and the mentality is, First Thessalonians, of the coming Lord, guys, I surely need you to walk this thing out. So he says, finally then, brothers, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus. In other words, it's not done in my flesh. I'm asking this in the name of the Lord, that as you've received from us how you must walk and please God, as you are doing, do so even more. I don't know. How do you, how do, you do that even more, Kevin? Like, what does that even look like? Any thoughts? I think it's, again, it's along the same lines as in chapter three. It's like, keep going. Don't stop. Don't stop. As you're doing this, look to please the Lord. In verse 2, for you know what commands we gave you through the Lord uh, Jesus. In other words, please God. And then in a, in a quick summary, he wants you to obey God. Like we've given you these commands. This command, it's a military term. Wearsby says that it, the orders were handed down from superior officers. Like I'm passing down to you. I expect you to do this. Paul actually shifts almost from a shepherd mentality saying, guys, this is what I need you to do. You know what you were told to do. And I love Caleb Beachy, you know, in Marshfield, which would have been like 2017, 2018, Marshfield, Wisconsin. 
He referenced Francis Chan, and I love this illustration that Caleb used, Francis Chan uses. Imagine if your parents are like, all right, like, so if, if I'm telling Maya, Nadia, Sailor Jude, time to clean your room. I love this illustration. And they're like, okay, dad, we got it. They leave, right? And they walk in and they look at the room and, and then what do they do? Oh, well, they, they take some pictures of it. They write down, God, uh, dad told me I'm supposed to clean my room. So I come in and then what do they do? They say, hey, dad, look, we wrote it down. You told us to clean your room. Hey, dad, look, we took a picture. You told us to clean your room. But I said, you, you never actually picked up your clothes. You never actually picked up your toys or Jude. If he finds a cardboard box on the side of the street, like he's part homeless. He brings all of it into his house and he makes everything into a craft. He's got this huge boat right now, right? Everything. But I would say, Jude, I told you to do this. I commanded you to do this. And then you didn't do it. You said, no, 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 we heard you, but we're excited that you told us. Look, we're excited you told us, but you never did it. That would never work. But isn't that what the church does sometimes? Like God clearly has commanded us or he's commissioned us to do certain things, but we're so excited. We talk about it. Hey, let's talk about how you want me to clean your room. We take pictures of it. Hey, look, or we write about it, but we never do it. That's not obeying you guys. And what Paul is saying is, look, in order to walk out holiness, you got to actually obey what God's asking you to do. The great commission would mean go, therefore, and make disciples doesn't mean talk about it or put a picture up on the wall or put up a, a vision statement or rechange our mission statement to say what we said last time. We've got to actually do it. He says, when you walk in holiness, do it to please God and obey the Lord. He says in verse 3, because this is God's will, your sanctification. And then he starts to get very specific in what that looks like, specifically for the Thessalonians, because in that industry, okay, if you want to go back to that city, Kevin, of Thessalonians, like you've got travelers coming and going, and it is a, literally a sexual pit. I don't know how to put it. He wants them to abstain from sexual immorality. I want you to experience purity. I want you to avoid adultery. I want you to avoid premarital sex. I want you to avoid homosexuality. I want you to function in purity. And here it is between one man, one woman, when you are married. It pleases God. Obey God, and I need you to abstain from sexual immorality. Because in verse 4, so that each one of you knows how to control his own body in sanctification and honor. It says in verse 5, uh, not with lustful desires like the Gentiles who do not know God. So when you walk in holiness, you do it to please God, you do it to obey God, and then guess what? It glorifies God. To bring glorify, glorify God in this process. Here's what's crazy is I don't understand how people in leadership in the church, okay? I'm not even talking the world. The world just should act like the world, right? They should act like in flesh, in flesh. Who wants a leader that can't control his own bodily functions? I'm serious when I say this. And then all of a sudden they're supposed to control themselves and lead a church. Like if you can't control your own body, how on earth would you be able to lead the body of Christ? So to walk in holiness, to please God, to obey God, to glorify God, you guys actually have to actually be able to control, have self-control over your own physical body. And in verse 6, he says, This means one must not transgress and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger of all of these offenses, as we also previously told and warned you. In other words, God will deal uh, with his children when they sin. Crazy enough, in verse 7, it says, For God has not called us to impurity, but to sanctification. 
Pal, we keep seeing that word sanctification just throw out. I mean, help us understand. It's a big word. So sanctification talks about being sanctified. Well, the only way sanctification to be sanctified takes place is I'd actually go back to the painting of Mindy's here in Romans. And you see the work that's done on the cross. I think it's a simple way of putting it. What Christ did on the cross allows us to be cleansed, to be forgiven, to be set free, uh, that we have been, how else do you want to put it? I'm going to say sanctified, <laughs> to be removed from the sin in the past so that we can come to the table clean. Set apart. Totally set apart. Holiness implies, means set apart. So I would say sanctification, holiness, righteousness, all has the same underlining principles that God hasn't called us to walk in the old way of doing things, but he's called us to walk in and to be set apart, to be anew in who we are in Christ. What's crazy is, is that Paul says, and he's somewhat concerned, guys, don't give back. Don't go back to the old way of doing things. In 1 Peter 1, verse 15, Kevin, if you want to go there for me for a second. 1 Peter 1, verse 15, I think it's a good way of uh, painting a picture of um, uh, of what we're talking about. But as the one who called you is holy, you are also to be holy in all of your conduct. To be sanctified means, and says in verse 16, for it is written, be holy because I'm holy. We are to live as if we've been changed. We're to live as if we've been different, which is what blows my mind when somebody says, I trusted Christ, but then I've gone back to the old way of doing things. Paul says, look, I need you to walk in holiness. And, and here's the crazy part in verse eight. This is really the, this is where I love the Wausau folks where Max is from. They gave me a soapbox. Like this is where I'd run with my soapbox today. I said, therefore, the person who rejects this does not reject man, but God who also gives you his Holy Spirit. In other words, you're saying, yeah, but I like my old way of doing things. I like the spirit of religion. I like this spirit of lust, the spirit of control, the spirit of pride. You fill in the blank, whatever it is. In this context, it's sexual impurity, which can I just say the sexual impurity is running rampant in the church, statistics over and over and over. You go to a youth group, major issues. You go to a congregation, major issues. And here's what I would just say now. Statistics would show it's not just within men, it's also within women. Pornography within men and women, statistics are almost neck and neck, you guys, about what people are dealing with. And if you're going back to the old way of doing things, Scripture says you're not rejecting man, you're rejecting God and the fact that the Holy Spirit's inside of you and you're ignoring that you're to walk in holiness. You are to be set apart. Why do we have this conversation? Because he's coming back. If he's coming back, Paul says, look, I need you to be ready. You cannot be messing around with your neighbor. You can't be messing around with your phone or your computer or these impure thoughts. And then say, oh, Jesus is coming back. I think so often we twist it and we, we make it a condition for coming to know Christ. So you have a walk in, in holiness. At the same time you have what he's saying is that I want you to, as Wearsby says, I want you to walk in harmony. In verses 9 through 10, okay, so, hey, I need you to walk with the Lord individually. But now corporately, what does that look like? He says, all right, about brotherly love. You don't need me to write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Verse 10. In fact, you're doing this toward all of the brothers in the entire region of Macedonia. <laughs> in other words, I'm hearing some really, really good stuff. In fact, you're doing this. It's kind of a cool picture. Not only are you doing this here in Thessalonica, but the scripture says you're loving on people in all of this yellow region. 
This is when I feel like a meteorologist. Ah, the love is coming in from the Neapolis and the love is coming up from the Bereans. <laughs> and the easterly winds are coming in of love. Look, the whole region is covered with love. But here's what I would say. And Paul says, I need you to do it even more. Going to Achaia, going into the other communities that I can't read. <laughs> I need you to spread the love. Now, there's a couple different loves. And let me just emphasize uh, there's four types of, of, of words for love. One is eros. Okay, you have this physical love, the erotic type of love. Uh, then you have a storge kind of love, which is like the family love, the parents for uh, their kids. Uh, this word is actually not used in the New Testament. But then you have the third and the fourth type of love, uh, the philia. Okay, P-H-I-L-I-A. It's the love of deep affection, the friendship, the marriage. It's the Philadelphia. It's the brotherly love. And then you have the fourth type of love, the agape, the love that God shows towards all of us. And as Wearsby says, it's not based on a feeling. It's expressed in our wills. It, here it is. You treat others as God would treat you. That's the kind of love that we're talking about. This is the kind of love. Hey, look, you don't need me. Like clearly you're already doing this, but I need you to continue to do this as, as God modeled this for you. I need you to keep modeling it for the whole region. So what I love about this picture is that Paul says, hey, walk in holiness and oh, by the way, walk in harmony. You can't walk in holiness and not walk in in harmony. It's really weird, you guys, when you come into cities and you say, oh, I'm walking in holiness and then none of the church can get along. (laughs) It's a weird picture of me walking with Christ and then you hate your Mennonite brother or you hate your Pentecostal brother or you can't stand, you know, uh, the Lutheran friend. Like that's the reality. And Paul says, hey, look, if you want to have an impact, you walk in holiness and you walk in harmony. And what I love about what Paul says to Thessalonians, he says, you're already doing this. Do this even more. What an awesome picture that he paints. And then he says in verses 11 and 12, Wearsby then just summarizes it very uh, forwardly. He says, I need you to walk in honesty. I need you to walk in honesty. He says, hey, here's what I want you to do. To seek to lead a quiet life. To mind your own business. (laughs) Hey, mind your own business. And to work with your own hands as we commanded you. And then in verse 12, so that you may walk properly or decently, is what we're implying, or honestly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. In other words, if you have this quiet life, I love what Constable says. If you have a quiet life, you're not going to disturb others. Uh, You're going to tend to your own affairs so then you don't have to meddle with somebody else's business. Workers clearly don't depend upon other people. In other words, you will be able to provide for your own families. And in this context is, is do this in a way that people respect you in the process. I mean, it's so generic and yet it's so biblical. When you walk in holiness, when you walk in harmony, you will walk in honesty. So this is kind of a a, a big picture here. I kind of flew through this on purpose because I really want to get to verses just for riches sake verses 13 through 18. And who knows how long we'll have the expert in-house, Max Ray, today on the topic of the rapture. So why is this important to get to the next? Like if we're talking about the rapture, if we're talking about the coming Lord at any time, we probably should be ready. So what I look at is, is that honestly, if I was to say this, it means your house is in order. You can come anytime. Can I just tell you, when I talk about the rapture, when you talk about this topic, okay, nobody knows. 
Nobody knows when he's coming. People have predicted his return. People have prophesied his return. We, we do not know. Nobody knows. Can I just make that clear already? So if nobody knows, the best thing that we can do as fellow believers is encourage us to walk this thing out. To make sure our house is in order. To make sure that we are ready. Kevin, I always say this. I'm going to Indiana uh, tomorrow. I always have to go back in through my house and make sure every one of my bills are taken care of before I leave. I want all my finances lined up. So if something happened, my kids could at least say, hey, look, at least it's in order. Like, I'm serious. Like, this is the mentality that we have to have. I have some weeds that are driving me nuts at my house. I've been gone for a couple weeks. I'm coming back. I'm leaving again. So guess what? I need somebody to come in and take care of my weeds. Now, I'm not advertising somebody come to my house. (laughs) But my point is, is like, like if the rapture is really going to happen, which it's clear that he's coming back for his people. Then we got to do anything we can to make sure we are in line. I'm not talking about weeds physically. I'm not talking about our bills physically. I'm talking about you make sure you are right with the Lord. So in verse 13, it says, we do not want you to be uninformed brothers concerning those who are asleep so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Okay, so in other words, I'm going to walk through this just a little bit Okay, Wearsby kind of breaks this up and he just says, all right, uh, in verses 13 and 15, we have revelation. In other words, we have God's truth. Okay, because we have God's truth. Okay, we know we have hope. So when it says, brothers, concerning those who are asleep, Kevin, if it means you're asleep, it doesn't mean you have a my pillow. What does it mean? It means you're dead. It means you're dead. So, brothers, concerning those who have died so that you will not grieve like the rest, In other words, if you're processing like, ah, what's going to happen so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. okay? and then it just says in verse 15, a for we say to you by a revelation from the Lord. So what I'm going to reveal to you today, Paul says, comes straight from the Lord. Okay, this hope that I'm talking about comes from the Lord himself. There has been a revelation. So that's what he's setting up for the Thessalonians. Now, in the process, he says in verse 15, I need you to understand something about the return. Christ, okay, this is part of the revelation, is coming back again. And he says in verse 14, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. So, all right, practically speaking, Rich, you're good at this. Jesus is right now where? Right now he's in heaven at the right hand of the God, the Father. He's at the right hand of the Father, third heaven. He's in paradise. He's with with God, right? So if people have died and it says he'll bring with him, he's saying he's bringing with those that have died. What does that imply, Kevin? That they're with him in third heaven. That they're with him. I'm saying this because sometimes when people say they're dead, they're like, well, where are they? Scripture says those that have died that believe in him, that he rose again, died and rose again, they're already with Jesus. Does that make sense? Everybody agree? Max, my expert, we okay? I agree with you. Okay, thank you. (laughs) So God is going to bring with those who have fallen asleep, those who have died that believe in his death and burial and resurrection. Okay, so you can have hope. That's where we're going to here. You can have hope that God is already, you're going to see him again. You're going to see again believers who have died that have placed their trust in Christ. You're going to see them. And he's coming back. So really this painting is, is that when you see the hand, you should see lots of little hands. Kind of creepy. Right? But isn't that what it's implying? You will see these people and you're going to see them when he comes back. Man, now this is a cool picture here. 
Scripture then just says in verse 15, For we say to this, say this to you by revelation from the Lord, we who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly have no advantage over those who have fallen asleep. So it doesn't matter. Like if they've died and they believe in the death, burial and resurrection and they're with Christ in, in heaven, right? There's no advantage of dying earlier than it is staying alive. Like you don't have to die to get a closer ticket to Jesus. Like that's what he's saying. He's like, hey, it doesn't matter the timing. We're all going to be with the Lord. The revelation is, hey, by the way, Christ is coming back. Okay, as he's coming back, he's going to bring with him those that have already died before us. Okay, now here's the cool part. In verse 15, it says, and by the way, he's going to resurrect those that are are dead. I'm just, he's emphasizing 14 and 15 together. He's going to resurrect those so you can have hope. Why do you use this at funerals? Because the people that have died, you're like, am I ever going to see them again? Well, if they put their trust in the death, burial and resurrection of Christ, absolutely. You will see your friends and Christ, we just don't know when. Verse 16, and here's the, here's the wild part. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. And, and look what it says. There's going to be three sounds. The Lord's going to descend from heaven, right? Because in Acts 1, it says he ascended to heaven and he's going to come back the same way that he actually ascended. He's going to descend. He's going to descend from heaven. Kevin, this is third heaven. Third heaven, I'm serious, okay? is coming from the third heaven. He's going to come all the way through the second heaven, through the the stars, the moon, the sun, and he's going to come here on the first heaven, correct? He's going to come here on earth, the earth's atmosphere. He's going to descend, and here's what's going to happen. He's going to descend with a shout. I I do not know what that's going to be like. I do, in my opinion, I think everybody's going to hear it. Now, some people are like, oh, it's going to happen through Facebook. Oh, it's going to happen through Instagram. I mean, this is what people say. Or, hey, it's going to happen through the internet. I know I don't really know. I just know that, unfortunately, our neighbors went through some really hard times just recently. They had a fire. You guys, I was sleeping next to the house that caught on fire. Fire alarms come. I didn't hear anything. I'm pretty sure that when Christ comes back, we'll hear the shout. It doesn't matter if you're sleeping or if you're awake. Like, he'll hear it. We'll all hear this. And oh, by the way, the archangel's voice. Yep, we'll hear the archangel's voice. The Lord will shout and there will be a trumpet sound, the trumpet of God. The Lord will shout the sound of trumpet and the voice of the archangel. The only thing I can say with the Lord shout, maybe it's like Lazarus in John eleven forty three. I don't I don't know. OK, I don't know that for sure. But I, I can just picture in John eleven forty three. Right. Jesus is talking to the dead and he says he shouted with a loud voice. Lazarus, come out. I just kind of wonder if all of a sudden he just says, bride, get ready. I wonder if he just says, body of Christ, I'm coming. I don't know what he says, but whatever the case is, if you're walking in holiness, walking in harmony, walking in honesty, honestly, I believe you'll hear his voice. I believe you'll actually get ready for his return. The sound of the trumpet, it's usually a sound for war. It's usually a time of the battle is coming Folks, we better get ready. I don't know what the voice of the archangel uh, sounds like. Maybe it's Michael's and Daniel. Maybe it's in Revelation. All I know, and maybe it's even more than one. All I know is that everybody will hear. And then here's the wild part. You have the revelation, the return, and the resurrection. And Wearsby then just says, well, here it is. You will then see the rapture. And living believers... Okay, living believers, we've already talked about the dead, right? 
the dead Jesus is going to actually bring with them. He's actually coming down. And then all of a sudden it says the living believers, it says those who are then when we are still alive, living believers, let me just finish this, uh, we'll be caught up. It says in verse 17, then we who are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds. So the only thing I can conclude is, is that the dead who believe in Christ, with Christ himself, with Yeshua, then the alive, if we're here in Dallas or Richardson or Wausau or Rowlett or Garland or Dallas, then those that are alive, somehow, someway, we'll all have a party in the clouds. And we're going to meet the Lord in the air. And here, look at this. So we will always be with the Lord. <laughs> now, this word rapture, it has uh, excited so many people. We've had books written about the rapture. I'm actually totally not against the rapture. I think it's one of the coolest things in all of Scripture. What does it look like? Well, the word rapture actually means to be caught up. The Latin means to seize, to carry off. Uh, there's a guy named Kenneth West. Kenneth West. He described a couple different words for what the rapture could mean. And I think it was really helpful for me. I'm not implying any of the above. I'm just saying, here's what it could mean. And I think it's a cool picture. We already know if you're alive and then the dead and Christ, everybody's going to meet in the air. If you believe in the death, burial and resurrection. You know what that really means? You have hope. That's why he says in verse 18, there's going to be a reunion. Christians, believers, uh, will be forever with the Lord. Isn't that an awesome picture? Like that's that's what you can really focus on, you guys. The coming of the Lord will allow those that believe, whether they're dead or alive, we're going to all hang out together for, forever. So what does this mean? We're hanging out up in the air. <laughs> well, the rapture could mean uh, to catch away specially. Okay, like the spirit caught Philip. Remember this? After the Ethiopian eunuch, what does he do? He automatically moved him. Rich, do you remember what town he moved him to? Yep. He went to Ashdod. Ashdod, also known as Azotos. Uh, it could mean to seize by force. Uh, is Satan actually trying to prevent us from meeting with Christ in the air? So is, is Christ going to actually seize us by force? Again, I'm not applying one way or the other. I just think it's an interesting perspective. Another one is, is to, to claim for one's own self. You view the rapture from our Lord's point of view as he comes to claim his bride. Another one is, is to move just simply to a new place. Didn't really like it here. Let's go up there. But this is the mentality, or maybe he's coming to rescue us from danger. Many people take this view, and then you're like, oh, there it is. Here we go. Like the rapture's coming before the tribulation, so he's going to rescue us. It could be. We'll get into that a couple lessons down about pre-trib, post-trib, or mid-trib, or pre-wrath. We're going to get in a little bit about that. But all I want to emphasize today, okay, is simply this is that in verse 17, when we are still alive, we'll be caught up together with those that have died, that have fallen asleep. We're going to meet the Lord in the air. And all I want to just say is, please get ready. It's an imminent return. He could come at any given moment. You could literally be watching, uh, let's just say the Packers. Probably wouldn't come then. My point is, is like, are we at any point, are we, are we ready? And when does this rapture happen? Does it happen before... The seven years, does it happen in the middle of the three and a half years with the Antichrist in the middle of it? Does it happen after the seven years of after the tribulation? All I want to just say, and I, I think this is the, the, the easiest way, and it's not a cop out. 
it doesn't matter when it happens. Because what happens if the rapture actually happens in the middle of all of this? In the middle of the tribulation? What happens? My point is this. We should not be caught off guard regardless of what our viewpoint is. Our view must be if Christ is coming back, we got to get ready. So let's walk in holiness. Let's walk in harmony. Let's walk in honesty. Why? Because then he can say, oh, look, I can recognize my children who look like me. All right, guys, have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow about 1 Thessalonians 5. Thanks.